Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, it's Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, your home for co-op and solo and everything good in gaming. All right, so I didn't do the intro, so you decided to. I was trying to surprise you with that. Like, I'm going old school, Mike. I went new school. I just made up a, a tagline for us. It doesn't even necessarily apply to our channel sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about Sky Team. That's right. Uh, or, or in other words, how Mike and Peter can crash a plane. Never let us be your pilots. and for our design discussion we're going to be talking about limited communication games and we've got a couple of them now in the co-op space so i think it's fun to talk about oh for sure Uh, but first uh let's thank some of our amazing patrons Uh, if you didn't know we have a patreon at patreon.com slash one stop uh i do uh two exclusive videos there every month uh, some has this top 10 list, some has other things. This month, it's uh, extra plays. So actually, uh, apropos of the uh, discussion, I only did a review on the main channel for uh, Sky Team because it uh, doesn't have a solo mode. But I did a, a play on the Patreon for the unofficial solo mode that's on BGG, which actually works really well. And then uh, later in this month, I'll have a uh, an extra 20 strong play. I think I'm going to maybe do the Too Many Bones module because I did the Solar Storm or whatever it's called uh, on the main channel. So lots of fun stuff over at Patreon if you want to go and check it out. And you also get early access to the videos and other cool things. Uh, and even some videos with you and them, Peter, uh, going back uh, a few months. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, you might have noticed it already or not. I am not doing as much streaming. I'm not streaming Marvel Champions every Friday anymore. So I'm sure you'll see me in a few more of those videos coming forward because I will have some freed up time. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, this week we'd like to thank a few patrons specifically. Uh, Hungry for Apples. I know uh, they're very active in the Discord. Thank you, Hungry. Uh, Nick Hughes, Joe Levering, Male Brunette, or Brunet, sorry if I said that wrong, and Andy Gig. Thank you all for supporting the channel. And, you know, if Patreon doesn't fit into your budget, you can subscribe to the YouTube channels. You can uh, download the podcast you're listening to right now. Leave us a review on Apple or wherever you're listening. It helps to get attention and uh, all that kind of stuff. We appreciate you, however you want to uh, join our little co-op journey here. Absolutely. So let's talk about a couple games we've been playing. And the first one I played once with you and once with my son, and that is Lost Runes of Arnak, which was one of my favorite, maybe a top 10 game for me. I really like that one a lot. They have a new solo co-op expansion called The Missing Expedition. And I played it once with you, Mission 1, and then I played Mission 1 again with my son and just having a blast with that. Lost Runes of Arnak, I mean... I, of course, you have to like the base game, I feel like, in order to like it. Like, I don't think yeah. you just go out and buy this. It's not going to change the way the game's played. In fact, I think the base game came with a solo campaign, right? You could play right through using an app. Correct. Yeah. So the base game just had a like tile based solo mode. Um, the general agreement, this uh, is something I said in my review as well, is that it was too easy. So then, as uh, separate releases, number one, they have, um, well, I guess this is just one thing. But they have a solo app. Number one, it uh, allows you to make the game a little bit harder. They also have a print-and-play version of this by, like, giving the uh, AI a stronger set of actions. But then additionally, yeah, they had a little, like, searching-for-your-friend campaign. So kind of similar to this one in the story of it. 
Uh, now it's clearly not nearly as involved and not nearly as intricate and like varied. Well, no co-op either. Yeah, right? exactly. This new expansion has two-player co-op. The original uh, app-based solo mode did not, but it was still pretty cool. Like they, they definitely have been supporting solo for this one in many ways and now co-op as well. Yeah, so I mean, I think if you want to try it out, the best way to do that is to try the base game. And we may end up reviewing this down the road, but just as a, a quick recommendation for me, I would say try the base game, see if you like the solo mo- mode there, play through the campaign. And if you want to play it with a friend, this missing expedition does it really well. And I've had a lot of fun with it. So, I mean, one of my favorite things about the game is just how many like resources you get. And it looks like you're stuck and you can't do anything else. And then you figure out, oh, wait, I could go here and explore here. Oh, and then I got this token that I can use to get another arrowhead. And then I can use that arrowhead to move up the track. Oh, and that gets me an exploration token. So it's like, moves chaining into each other and sometimes it's like very well planned out and for me a lot of times it's like oh wow i just lucked into this thing that worked out really well for me so uh i don't know i I have a lot of fun with that one and uh this was not disappointing at all for me really fun expansion missing expedition for lost runes arnak yeah i'm glad you're enjoying it i wouldn't say arnak is necessarily a top 10 overall game for me but absolutely top probably five of euros specifically uh, like in worker placement games. So I enjoyed it a lot. And yeah, I thought the expansion was excellent too. And there is, a, if people want to see, there is a playthrough of the first mission that Peter's mentioning on the channel. Uh, you know, minor spoilers, since it is the first of six campaign missions, but still you can see the new stuff in action. Uh, so I'll jump in with one of mine. Uh, this one I just got recently, one I was very excited about. This is called Sale. And it was in a all-play Kickstarter that included four different games. Uh, Sale is two-player only co-op, a trick taker. So in a lot of ways, very similar to Fox in the Forest duet that we've covered before. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's really fun so far. I mean, I like trick takers. I've only played it with my 10-year-old and he's still pretty new to trick taking. So I am very curious to like play it with you or Jerry, uh, Peter, because there is a lot you there's a lot of information in the game in terms of what's in your partner's hand or what could be. Like you you know what a lot of the cards could be, which could lead you very much toward like certain plays and stuff. And my son's not always getting that. So we're struggling to get past like the basic difficulty level. But yeah, so far it's, it's fun. It's a very small box. Like there's not a ton of stuff in there, but basically you're just doing the regular trick taking thing, playing a card, whoever wins plays the next card, but there's a lot going on with that. So there's like a damage deck of low cards. And the more you do things that cause damage, the more they get added to like the regular decks. They're kind of separate at first. So the deck actually like changes over time, but then you can add cards back to that damage deck because if it runs out, you lose. Oh, interesting. What actually like does stuff on the turn is the icons on the cards that end up being played to the trick. Like if you both play a wheel, like a ship's wheel to the trick, because it's like a little boat trying to survive like this uh, rough spot of the ocean, like moving around on this uh, board. So if you play both play wheels, you'll move on the board, but whoever had the higher wheel the ship will move toward that player, like their side of the board. So there's some like really interesting things there. And then you also have like little special powers you can use. Uh, it's a slightly, so far I would say it's slightly more straightforward than Fox in the Forest duet. Um, there aren't like as many like powers on the cards and that kind of stuff, but definitely enjoying uh, that one so far. If, uh, fans of trick-taking games, no reason not to check it out. Um, and I'm just happy to have more, you know, the crew, Fox in the Forest duet, uh, Sale, like more and more of these cooperative uh, trick-taking games, I am all for them. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's something I'm looking forward to trying, and maybe even this weekend if we can get together before uh, our normal game night. Yeah, it's a very quick one. Like it's 10 to 15 minutes for a game, so we could probably sneak it in. 
Nice. So the last one I'm going to cover is the new Marvel Champions expansion. And I don't talk about Marvel Champions here a lot. I mean, I mention it a lot, but I don't really talk about it. And this next evolution is the X-Force, which honestly, I don't know a lot about. I saw Deadpool 2, and that's literally the only way I know any of these characters at all. And they're certainly not all there. But it's funny, uh, and kind of getting to the streaming channel, I stopped streaming mostly, first of all, because I was so frustrated with like my computer issues. But secondly, because as I played it more and more and I was playing and kind of forced to play every week, I was kind of falling out of love with the game, which is a little bit sad, right? Like the more you play it, you'd think them. And I hadn't even played through the campaign yet. So it's it was cool to me. First of all, Fantasy Flight was generous enough to send us two new heroes with Psylocke and Angel. And I just started playing with them and it got me into my love of the game again. I started playing some solo games and I've started to go through this campaign. And it's one of the most interesting campaigns that they've put together so far. I think they've really differentiated the villains. I mean, it's amazing to me, this game with how many releases, how many big box campaigns they've come out with, how they keep continuing to innovate, how each new hero comes out, still has something new. They're introducing new mechanics to the game. But it's cool with games like Marvel Legendary, how they do this, where they just add one mechanic for each expansion, one mechanic with each expansion. The nice part here, though, is you don't need to learn all those mechanics. You just need to learn the mechanic that's involved with the heroes you're using. Unlike something like Legendary, where if you want to incorporate all your old stuff, you have to learn a bunch of different stuff and only certain stuff works with other stuff. Here, they kind of design it to work by itself. So I don't know. I'm, I'm continuously enthralled with Marvel Champions, playing it. Just solo 30 minute games for solo is just amazing. And I've kind of fallen back in love with it over the last few days, just playing through this new campaign. Yeah, and we we played it together uh, recently. I played Wolverine, who I had not tried out. And yeah, I, I, I forget how much I enjoy the game, but I only enjoy it in certain circumstances. Like Peter and I played on an easier, more straightforward villain. I just got to be like awesome and do cool stuff and win. I'm definitely not in a place with that game since I don't play it nearly as much as you do, Peter. And I don't do any deck construction where like I where the challenge is what draws me in. Like, I don't mind just whooping it <laughs> and feeling cool. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's, it's still a, it's still a great design. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the more I play standard, the more I realize I do like that when we were playing. And that's part of it with Friday nights. We just kept upping the difficulty and upping the difficulty. And the games got longer and longer because, you know, you're grinding it out more and more. So maybe that was part of it, too. I'm definitely I'm just playing through one standard with pre-constructed decks when I'm playing this campaign too. just some of the new heroes. And I'm having fun just doing that. So I do think there is a game in here for everybody. And I think there's a lot of different ways if you look for like youtube streams of or, or not just streams any plays of marvel champions people are doing some neat stuff with like speed runs things like that like there's a lot of different ways that you can play the game and i think the versatility is one of the things i like about the game too although i still say i don't ever want to play with more than two players even though i do do it like at conventions and stuff i still prefer it at two players or at least never with more than one inexperienced player, right? Like, I think that's where it really slows down. If everyone knows how to play the game, I imagine it goes pretty quickly. That's true. That's And especially if you're playing standard, because a lot of times when we play at these conventions, because you want to play with a lot of different groups, because you want to play with a lot of different people, you'll bring these, like, good, powerful decks, or maybe they're just fun decks you want to experiment with. But then you play on standard mode, so it's like, okay, we know we're probably going to take it down, but it's okay. We're just here to have fun and, and really learn new people and see how they play. Yep. All right, so uh, my other one that I'll throw in real quick, I've been playing a bunch, but this one uh, is going up probably next week on the channel. Uh, I got the, I think these are starting to deliver or close to delivering on crowdfunding, uh, Tamashi, 
which used to be called something else. I think it was uh, Gaijin, but this is uh, an Awakened Realms light game. Um, and it's like cyberpunk themed. You're moving around these locations, trying to uh, fulfill some kind of mission. This is solo co-op, by the way. And kind of like the big uh, selling point of the game, the part that got me interested is that you have a little like board and you're drawing tokens onto it of different colors. And then you get a certain number of actions to move those tokens around. You're trying to create configurations that will let you fire off special abilities That'll let you uh, build up your like stats. It'll get you experience points to level up. So it has vague vibes of Bullet. People know Bullet from Level 99, one of my, and I know Peter's too, one of our favorite games. Um, it has a little bit of that. Now, it's it's not like, doesn't have the asymmetric value of Bullet, where like each character plays differently. It's way simpler than Bullet. It's way more straightforward. And it has way more other stuff going on. Because again, you're get, like in this whole like scenario-based like story progression like multiple cars with different objectives and like branching options and all kinds of stuff. Like there's a lot going on besides bullet. So that's pretty cool so far. I've been enjoying it. I've only played the easiest missions. They were pretty easy. Uh, so <laughs> I do have to like dig deeper into the harder modes and, and uh, you do unlock stuff each time you play, like not, not in a legacy type of way, but it's like you get more fun stuff to play with as kind of a reward as you play different missions. But yeah, I, I'm liking it so far. I definitely want to try it uh, more co-op because the solo mode is fine. But I want to see how it is. It's not going to replace bullets. Again, like that aspect of it is is just fine, not amazing. But the overall package I'm enjoying. I mean, Awakened Realms has really <laughs> been doing it for me recently, just to be to be honest. Like Stalker was pretty cool, the prototype of that. I just did a Kings of Ruin uh, review, and I'm, I'm loving what they did with Tainted Grail and how they've changed that one. And then uh, the new one, the upcoming one, Dragon Eclipse. Uh, I, I thought that was awesome in the prototype I played. So yeah, whereas uh, they were pretty hit or miss for me in the past, lately they've been... Uh, Hitting it out of the park for for my taste in a lot of ways. Dragon Eclipse, not to be confused with Flame and Fang. No, they, they have almost nothing to do with each other except that dragons are involved in some fashion, and that they're both crowdfunding near each other, which we're just in love with. <laughs> not really, by the way. <laughs> well, the good news is, if you want to actually be a dragon, Flame and Fang is the way to go. If you want to train dragons in a Pokemon style, then Dragon Eclipse is the way to well, go. Well, actually, you don't even train. Dra- yeah, so in Dragon Eclipse, you get like lizards and things. The only dragons, at least that I saw mentioned in my prototype plays are like these ancient great dragons. So maybe you'll like fight one as a, uh, as a boss by the end. But yeah, definitely no n- none, no dragon control in sight in that game. But it's a great game, by the way. Not, not trying to criticize it. It's just very different from our game in a lot of ways. <laughs> Which is a good thing. <laughs> so. oh, yeah, I got, oh, when I first heard it, I was like, oh God, it's a deck builder. It's not a deck builder. It's a deck construction game. And I was like, oh gosh, they have dragons, but no, not really. And I'm like, oh gosh, it's an adventure game, but not really. It's like Awakened Realms, like narrative, like read a bunch adventure games. So yeah, they could not be more different (laughs) besides the fact that they are solo co-op and there's dragons somewhere. Nice. All right. Well, let's talk about Sky Team, shall we? Yes, sir. Let's get into it. All right. So I will do the theme. You are a pilot and co-pilot that are in a limousine and have a glass of silence between you. So you can't talk as you're landing this plane and you're working together to land a plane in all different kinds of runways around the world and all different kinds of situations. I don't know why you're landing on icy runways or why you have a fuel leak. Seems to happen more often than you would like, though. I mean, yeah. So a lot of people have brought up like the whole like, why can't you talk to each other? You're in a cockpit. For for me, I think of it like as representing like the stress because I think it's supposed to be like, especially when you get into the uh, the crisis scenarios. I think these are supposed to be like troubled landings, you know, like Miracle on the Hudson kind of stuff. So right. 
So I, I imagine like the stress of the situation and like the chaos is making it tough for you all to like work at peak efficiency. That's how I explain the limited communication and not a uh, not a limousine glass between you. <laughs> well, the other part of it is uh, like you're not both grabbing the steering wheel at the same time. Like, but in this game or or the throttle, right? In this game, your dice determine like whether you're how fast you're going. And okay, well, that's how, a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Pilot and co-pilot are literally not steering the same steering wheel and pulling down the same throttle at the same time. I mean, what do you know? You haven't been in a cockpit before, Peter. Maybe that's just how it works. <laughs> I mean, yes. If that's how it works, I'm never getting on a plane again, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'll explain the mechanics a bit. So, by the way, we, we did get a review copy of this one at uh, Gen Con. This was uh, one of uh, several games that we got copies of at Gen Con. Uh, so, the basic mechanics... You each have four dice, and they are behind the screen, so you can freely talk before you roll your dice for the round. And then you roll them, and you have uh, spots on this like little board representing like kind of like the cockpit and instruments and such of the airplane. Uh, you have some spots that only you can place on, like the blue color for the pilot, orange for the co-pilot. Some spots you both can place on, and you just take turns doing one die at a time. But you know the order you do the dice and how you do them is going to heavily influence each other. And like Peter said, like. Uh, sometimes your dice and their dice combine to affect uh, wind speed or affect like the angle of the airplane. And yeah, you have a certain number of rounds to get all the planes out of your way, to angle yourself the right way, to get all your landing gear open, to slow down enough for your brakes to work. And you see if you win or lose. There's just a ton of different airports and like different scenarios to kind of try out with that basic uh, structure. But yeah, let's uh, let's get into our top five points about the game, the things that stood out the most to us. Peter, you want to go first? Absolutely. So um, for those of you who haven't joined us before, welcome. And what we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is our least important, going to number one, which is the most important. But of course, they're all important or we wouldn't mention them at all. So my number five is the table presence of this game. You have these this dashboard that goes between the players that is a dual layer dashboard where the dice fit in beautifully and they're very brightly colored spots. So the pilot spots are all blue. The co-pilot spots are all orange. And there are some spots that are blue slash orange. I think in the base game, the only one you have is the like energize or get coffee. I don't even know what that action is called, but basically the uh, the uh, change a die value by one spot. Um, but this it, it's very beautiful to see um and then you have these like sliding long narrow corridor things <laughs> like one of them tracks <laughs> the turns basically and the other one is the airport so it shows you the threats that are in front of you you put planes on it to represent other planes in that airspace that you have to like signal in to get you know to get moved out of the way or whatever else although i we usually call that shooting them down i know that's not exactly what exactly what you're doing, or no, what you're doing. yeah you made this violent <laughs> this is a nice like peaceful game <laughs> Yes. So, uh, yeah, you're clearing the flight path. That's what they're called. I think they're called flight paths. So, I mean, it looks like it. It's this like long, narrow strip that you're pushing down one spot each and it shows you who's going first. Um, and then you have one for each individual airport. And that's really the difference between the airports. And then at the top, it shows you what like little modules you use with that airport. So it's really nice to look at when you're at the table. You get these little wooden plane meeples that go on there and just the dice themselves are brightly colored and, and nice weighted. And I just, oh, and you have player screens in front of yourselves where you're hiding the dice from each other. I think it's a game when you walk by it, you look at it, you're like, oh, what's that? That looks like a lot of fun. And just by watching it also, you'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly, even if you're not, you know, even if there's no talking or whatever going on. It's pretty easy to figure out what's going on at just just by a glance. So I think the table presence for this one was just beautifully done. Yeah, this 
You know, I don't usually focus on components and I almost made this one of my five points when I was doing my review because you're right. Like it's evocative, you know, it, it, it like thematically calls out to airplanes. Everything is, in my opinion, so clearly communicated, like great iconography and color based, like everything. And even the uh, even the little like modular boards that get added in like scenarios, they like connect in their own little ways and have like little spots you're supposed to go in and that all like works smoothly. So I agree. Just like really a triumph of uh, component design here. Uh, but for my number five, I'm going to focus on something very specific, which are the skill cards. And uh, so how it works is you have different airports and different levels of difficulty you can play them on. And each like kind of tell you which uh, elements and modular things to include. And one of them that is often included pretty much at all the higher difficulty uh, airplanes are skill cards. And there's, I don't know what, Peter, like six or seven of them. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, about right. Yeah. So... And these will, they're, they're fun. Like this is a mix by the way, but on the positive side, they, they encourage you to do cool things. They generally reward you for uh, cooperation. Like if you both put the same die value uh, on the thing that controls the airplane's angle, you get a free coffee. Or if you uh, both do this in the same turn, then you get this kind of bonus or Hey, once per game, you can each do this. So it tends to like kind of increase the cooperation uh, the negative side, and this is easily house ruled, but I still just want to, you know, go by the rules as written. The negative side is it just lets you pick which ones you want to use by the rules. And Peter can say this, like he was like, hey, let's use this one. I always use this one. It's really good. <laughs> so yes. I do think you can like get in a rut. So now I- I've house ruled it to where I just draw a certain number. And those are the ones we have to kind of deal with. And I find that more interesting and varied for my own taste. But yeah, that's the only thing that's kind of a mix for me. It's sort of a a nitpick that by the rules as written, like you could just use the exact same ones you think are the strongest or the easiest or the best every single game and nothing would stop you. But still, uh, these are great. They're they're fun. And again, they like kind of raise up the cooperation a bit, which I certainly appreciate. And I don't know that they are unbalanced from each other. So I don't think it's I use this one every time because it's the best. It might be a little bit better. And I think I think they're situationally better and worse, but I also think that like you get used to doing something. It's like, Oh, I use this because I I find it useful. But at the same time, I think when I get a different one, I'm like, Oh, that one's useful too. Cause when you and I played, we did random ones and I'm like, Oh, I haven't played with this one very much. Oh, that's really neat. I like what I'm doing here. So unlike some of these games where it's like, Oh my gosh, these are clearly the best three or the best two or whatever. I think they're all useful here. I just think it's going to be more personal taste. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. All right, Peter, what's your uh, number four? My number four is going to be quick because it's quick playing. That is, uh, <laughs> the game is not only quick playing for an entire game. I think you can get it done in 30, 45 minutes max, probably less than that even, because each turn you're literally rolling four dice each and you're placing one die at a time. A round takes like two minutes. So my kids, my family and I, who it's hard to get them to stay focused on one thing for very long, Sometimes we'll just play one or two rounds. It's like, all right, go play with your friends. Hey, come here. Let's play a turn or two before you go do whatever. I mean, if you have a place to keep it set up, it's really easy to squeeze in a turn here or there. And it's not even like, oh, your bus leaves in two minutes. All right, let's go play a turn real quick. Right. So everything about the game is quick. Your actions are quick. You're going to place a die. Then the next person is going to play a die until you both place your four dice. So everything about the game is quick, quick playing. And so for me, that's a huge pro. Easy to get to the table because it's so easy to pull out. Even set up is quick. Everything's quick with the game. So really a huge pro for me. Yeah. And I'll, I'll agree, like, I've enjoyed this one with more gamery people playing at higher difficulty, but I've played it with my seven-year-old and my 10-year-old and my non-gamer wife and all loved it. 
So definitely like accessible uh, at the basic levels. Uh, my number four is the dice randomness. Pro for my taste, might not be for you. <laughs> uh, the big thing is I appreciate that in the four dice you're rolling, most values are workable and you can like make something happen. And in many cases, it's not so much about the values you roll, but in the order that you use them and that like the other player finds out about them. Because often like for the things that you need to coordinate between each other, it doesn't really matter like if I rolled like twos or threes or fours or fives, it more matters like that I let you know that soon so that you can adjust however you play your dice out. Now, that being said, sometimes you do get a bad roll and a bad roll usually because highs and lows are both useful. A bad roll is almost always going to be like a lot of the same thing, <laughs> you know, like yep. all ones and twos, like those are the only like truly bad rolls generally. But even then, those usually happen maybe once or twice a game, and they give you these re-roll tokens you can use to help you mitigate those kind of things. Many also have the coffee tokens. So yeah, I, I find the dice luck is not a problem for me and in my plays. Keeps the game exciting. You know, you can grow when you roll certain things, but usually there's a way to to figure it out, even if the dice aren't perfect for you. So uh, some people might not like it. I think it's great. Yeah, and I like you said, I never found it to be an issue. We never lost. I mean, I think the game is probably easy enough. Now, I never did play the hardest of hard missions, but I think the game's easy enough that, you know, you, you can work with whatever you get. And again, I think you're right. Like, if I roll a five, that seems really bad. Maybe I use it to turn the plane or whatever. But as long as the other person rolled a five or a four, then we're pretty good. You know, it's not a problem. Uh, so, yeah, it's more the combination of the dice. And they do give you re-rolls and, like you said, the ways to, to mitigate. So my number three is the variety. And not only do you have different scenarios, you have all these different airports, both with two difficulty levels, by the way. So you could have a green, easy one, and that same one could have yellow on the back. You might have yellow airports, which then have red on the back, which are a little harder, or red airports that even have black on the back, which is the hardest of the scenarios. So I I like the variety in the difficulty levels, as well as each airport feels different. Like they have enough knobs that they make it feel different. And not only with, you know, the way you're approaching the airport or whatever else, but with the modules they they let you play, you're never playing with all the modules. It's not like a modular game where you're like, all right, this time I'm going to add fuel and then I'm going to add this and then I'm going to add that. No, each airport has its own set of modules it wants you to play with and it makes them all feel different. Um, so yeah, between the scenarios and the different modules they have at the beginning, you're playing with no modules. Then you add fuel, AC runways, you have... Um, like we said, fuel leaks, you have certain areas where you got to tilt your plane certain ways to get through. You have scenarios where the wind is a big factor in them, where you have to like use the wind to help you slow down or speed up. Like there's just a lot of different modules, but they're all fairly straightforward. And oh, the intern, I almost forgot the intern. How can you forget that one? It's pretty complicated. Yeah. (laughs) It's not complicated, but it's, it's definitely, you got to think about it because if you don't fully train this uh, intern, even if you land the plane, you fail the mission. It's like, I'm sorry. The intern has not learned enough. You cannot land the planes. Even though all the passengers are safe, everybody's good, you have still failed the mission. No, no, see, what it is is the intern has a bomb strapped to their brain, you know, Ah. and and it's measuring their airplane landing knowledge level. And if they don't complete that training program, then boom, you know. Now who's the violent one? I just was shooting down planes on my way down. You're like blowing up (laughs) interns over here. My gosh. (laughs) Um... Yeah, but I I agree with you, the modular. Actually, I'm going to mention that in a second, so I'll hold off. But my number three, uh, this is going to go to our design discussion in a minute, uh, are, is the limited communication in the game. And I'll admit that I'm an easy sell for this. I've liked limited communication games in the past. 
I tend to find that it uh, makes some for some exciting, tense gameplay in a lot of cooperative games. And I think that's the case here, too. It is interesting to have played this one uh, before I'm playing Sale right now, which is a limited communication like Trick Taker. Because in both cases, it's the same sort of thing where there's like a tension of, I don't know what you have. I'm hoping you have something like this or like that. And there's some interesting choices in like when you show which dice and when you lock in values and when you hold off. And it really comes down, honestly, it really comes down to the airspeed and the angle of the plane. Those two are entirely dependent on how your two dice, you each have to play a dice there every turn, how they interact. One is the sum, one is the difference. So that in and of itself kind of becomes a major part of what you're doing together every turn, like how fast we want to move, what angle we want to be at. And like me, kind of, it's almost like a game of chicken a little bit. Like, ooh, do I put my die down yet? Oh, but what if this is too high? Maybe I'll wait a little bit. Maybe I'll wait and see if they play it first. Oh, they didn't play it yet. Oh, crud. Maybe they're totally fine. Maybe they don't care which one I play. So I think there's like a, a lot of fun there. And that's kind of where the limited communication um, most shows itself. But also I'll say that like even playing with my seven-year-old, I think this is one of the least frustrating limited communication experiences I've had yeah. recently because something we'll just do in the, I'll talk about in the design discussion, I'm sure is the like uh, potential for frustration and anger and recrimination. Like, how could you do this? How did you mess us up so much? And this game, I don't know. It's straightforward enough. And again, only those two spots are like directly intimately dependent on how you both coordinate with each other that I haven't had that same kind of thing. Like, I don't think I've ever like gotten super mad at anybody playing this game and being like, oh, why'd you do that? <laughs> so it's a nice, like kind of friendlier version of limited communication than I, I think I've seen in a lot of these kinds of games. Well, that winks one of us. I definitely yelled at both my daughter and my son while playing this game. Like, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> maybe my children are just better. Well, actually, you know what? It's not that my seven... I, f- I forgot about this. So maybe I have to retract my point a little bit. I forgot my seven-year-old was not better at the game than your kids. My seven-year-old cheated... Uh, mercilessly and I didn't real like it, it was about halfway through the first game we played I was noticing that I would like put a die down and then like he'd like sort of shuffle with his dice for a little bit like and I thought he was thinking but I realized at some point that he was turning them to a different face because he was like whoops <laughs> I needed one daddy let's get a one right now <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe the limited communication has some issues with it I don't know don't play with my seven-year-old but I, I still think it's pretty good <laughs> All right, so I am going to side tangent here for a minute. So we played, uh, I, I played Spare Parts, which is another game of ours. It's not out yet, but it's it's a game. Hopefully, we're we're going to get out in the next couple of years. But which is a dice placement game, and I was playing with my son, and we we played through an entire campaign. Right, we we played the whole thing. This is weeks and weeks of playtesting. And I'm just trying to get a feel for difficulty, everything else, how it felt to play each of the missions, and then one day we're playing. And I literally see him put his finger on top of the dice and push it down and clearly change the side from a miss <laughs> to a hit on on one of the, his attacks against the enemy. I was like, Nick, what did you just do? He's like, nothing. I said, did you just change the die? He goes, yeah. I said, you can't do that. I was like, I'm trying to test difficulty here. And like, we're like killing all these guys and the missions are pr- going through pretty easy. And I'm like, wow, this is going great. Like I'm, the difficulty's just right. Like, And then... I was like, how many times have you done that? He goes, oh, I've been doing it the whole time. Like literally we're nine <laughs> missions into this thing that I've been playtesting. I'm like, you're, are you kidding me right now? You've literally been like cheating the entire time. He's like, yeah, but it's fun. I'm like, great. Thanks. I was like, 
there's a uh, weeks of playtesting down down the tr- down the drain. So one of the uh, one of the negatives of being a game designer is playing with cheating children. <laughs> all right. Well, all that being said, what's your number two, Peter? Uh, my number two is the dice placement, and I, I think you covered it beautifully there. I was going to go over the two different spots that you have to share. Um, yeah, so just to get a little bit more in depth on it, one of them, as you said, the speed, you add your dice together, and you have to be in a certain range. And this range will change as you do things like open flaps, put down landing gear. I'm not going to cover all that. But bottom line is if you're under a certain number, you're going to move zero spaces. If you are between that number and a higher number, you're going to move one space. And if you're higher than that higher number, you're going to move two spaces. So it's zero, one or two move. You just have to add up the dice and see what range you're in. And you do have some control over what those ranges are as you open flaps, things like that. So so that's one place where there's a level of tension. I think this dice placement adds fun tension in that as well as the like tilt or roll of the plane. So you want the plane to be flat when you land, but it doesn't have to be flat the whole time. In fact, sometimes because of wind currents or because of mountains or whatever else, you have to kind of like go around things. So you have to have certain tilt as you're going as well. And so it's going to be similar to uh, what was that snow game with the dogs? Oh, uh, snow tails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No tails, like you move toward the higher dice. So if somebody puts a three down, somebody puts a one down, you can move two. You're going to kind of tilt your plane two toward that that higher dice. So that's another place where you have to have some communication and some figuring out. And if you turn the plane too far, of course, your plane's going to like flip over and crash and everybody dies. So you don't want that. Um, or if you go too fast, you could overshoot the runway or you could undershoot it or you could run into some other planes that haven't been told to get out of the way yet. Some people say tell to get out of the way. I say shot down yet. Either way. So, you know, there's, there's a little tension there. And not only is there tension in what numbers go there and how far you move, but the timing matters too, because you move as soon as you place that second die. You tilt as soon as you place that second die. So sometimes you got to tilt a certain way before you can move forward, or sometimes you got to clear some planes away before you move your plane at all. So there's a lot of tension in, okay, did that person roll what they needed to clear those planes out of the way. Well, I'm going to put my movement dice down. I'll put a medium dice down. So maybe we can go higher. Maybe we don't have to move this turn depending on what they have. So there's a lot of thinking and double thinking. So just the dice placement aspect is really cool. And you can like pause for a turn by putting it at this bottom track where any number can be used. And it just gives you a coffee, which gives you plus one or minus one to a dice in the future. But you only have four dice a turn to do your actions and you have to get certain things done before you land. So just the tension, the stress of all these different things pulling at you in such a simple dice placement game is really neat how they do it. I don't know. I, I, you could probably tell by this point. I'm enthused by like almost everything about this game. So I really thought it was clever how you do the dice placement. Yeah, and I'll be pretty quick on my number two because Peter already mentioned it. I like the modular like elements that get added. They, like Peter said, they are very simple in and of themselves. Like, hey, there's fuel. You got to put an extra die here. If you don't, you lose a ton of fuel. Don't run out. You know, it's, it takes almost yep. no time to understand it. Like a couple of them are a little bit more complicated, like the wind and the intern maybe, but really they're pretty straightforward, but they're fun in the combinations. I love uh, how different the difficulty levels can be, how you can like really go crazy with it if you want to. I like the, uh, the, the <laughs> I did this one in the uh, Patreon play. I, I like the uh, airports where you need to like turn a certain way or you crash into a mountain or something. Like I always find that fun. Um So yeah, it's just a nice way to take a very simple, clean system with incredibly simple scenarios that you can uh, 
play with anybody and ramp it up to match like your group and your preferences. And they said, uh, I think they already have LaGuardia up They're They're going to be putting more like free print and play airports up on their website to kind of like uh, just hit more real world places and also make them even like more challenging if you want. So I, I appreciate all the stuff they're doing. You know, Peter, why don't I just jump into my number one too? Cause it's exactly sure. what we just talked about. <laughs> so it's also the dice placement and yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I agree with everything Peter said. I, I, I will say this is a caveat. Like it's a pro for me. I love this game. Um, you are doing a kind of the same thing a lot, you know, yep. the, the core, pl- like landing a plane does not change. It's not like you're suddenly flying like an alien, like flying saucer and like all the nods, nodules, you know, modules are different. It's not like you're, you know, suddenly doing vastly different things besides like the differences in the airports, besides the different like modules you got to deal with. Like in the end, you got to open the flaps, you know, you got to get the landing gear down. You got to get the brakes ready. So that could be annoying for people, but I think it really goes back to your earlier point, Peter, why I don't mind it and why I still really enjoy it. It's so accessible. The turns are so fast. Like I appreciate the parts that are consistent so that I can like have fun with the skill cards and the modules and the things that are different. And like, you know, just have a good time with any like player of any skill level for the game. So yeah, the dice placement in some ways could get samey, but for me with the price point, with the time, like to play the game, it's right where it needs to be for a great experience. Yeah. And I think you get variety in what you roll each game too, right? I mean, if you always rolled like consistently, I think, and I, I think that's why I don't mind the dice as much when you're, you know, rolling and placing and you have some dice luck involved. I think that creates variety as well because it's not the values on your dice, as we've said, more than the, you know, how, how you can work together. So yeah. I, I do like the, I mean, it's kind of like the mind, right? They're cards number one to 100, but like getting them out in the right order is challenging every time. And for me, fun. So I don't know. I, I, I guess I equate it to that a little bit. There's a little more game here than there is in mind, but uh, I, I do I do appreciate it here, but my number one you've hit on. So I'll be quick with this one as well is the limited communication. I think it's really well done here. I cheat in this game, just like I do in every limited communication game. I'm not supposed to show any facial features or anything else that doesn't (laughs) happen ever. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you could read it all over my face. Oh my gosh, I have a terrible role. Like I'm just going to pray that we get through this and you know, the gaps and everything else uh, are, are audible. Definitely when I uh, <laughs> when we get through barely or when we don't have a choice and we get stuck and uh, and I have lost this game. So I, I don't want people to think that, yes, you know, it, it is an easier game. I lost on even some of the easier levels. I, I think there is some luck involved with that. But I also think, you know, we made some bad choices sometimes and the order we did things in wasn't ideal. So, uh, yeah, for me, that limited communication leads to a lot of tension which is something I really like in the game. So that's my number one. Uh, so Mike, quick final thoughts. I think we've revealed, uh, you know, shown our hand a little early. We're, we're not very good at this limited communication thing. So uh, <laughs> why don't you tell us what your final thoughts are? Yeah, I mean, I, I I was super charmed with this game from the very first time I played it with uh, some of the people, uh, the publisher at Gen Con, and they, they gave me a review copy. Like, certainly that's a nice situation to be in, but... Uh, I have never had a bad play of this. I've played it with, again, like people at Gen Con. I played it with like my main gaming group. I played it with both my children. I played it with my wife at higher difficulty levels, at lower difficulty levels. And again, uh, there's an, un- there's actually, I think there's a few unofficial solo modes on BGG and those work great too. So it's a good solo game if you want to play it for that. So yeah, this, this is a complete recommend for me. 
even if you don't like dice luck, I think, again, like it's very mitigatable and like it just kind of gives the game some energy and some tension. I don't know. This is a, a fantastic game. It's it's definitely in my top 10 for the year. I think it's going to have be in a pretty solid spot for that. It's a lighter game. It's a quicker game. But that that's sort of, you know, with me playing a lot with my family these days, that's right in my wheelhouse. So, yeah, I, I love this one. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I guess the only caveat I'm going to put on it, because I put so much love out there for it, is it is two-player only. Uh, you did say there are some good solo variants out there. I have not tried them, but I would be excited to, because this is a game I would like to play more. But, you know, if you have three or four players, there's nothing you could do about it. Like, it's definitely a two-player game um, only, and you need it for that limited communication part of it. So um, that would be my only caveat to the game. Although my, uh, I think my daughter or my son, I can't remember which one said, I wish there was like a flight attendant uh, exp- module for it, right? It's like, <laughs> you got to feed the people in the back or keep them calm or whatever else, like while the other things are going on. So there you go. There's my uh, recommendation to the publisher. You, you heard it here first, flight attendant, uh, flight attendant, three player uh, version of the game coming out soon. <laughs> I mean, no joke. I would, I would buy as many expansions as they want to make for this one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if they do want to release extra stuff. Um, and I think it's good. I mean, I, I think it has its big release at Essen uh, coming up. So I guess we'll see more how successful it is. But it definitely seemed to make a pretty good splash at Gen Con. I know there's already been a lot of uh, positive reviews out besides ours. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's getting a good reception. All right, so let's get into our design discussion on limited communication. And with all that said, it's funny because that is my number one point about the game. And I didn't even realize that when I texted you today. What are we going to talk about? (laughs) How about limited communication? I forgot that that was my number one point about the game. So uh, I I limitedly communicated with myself about uh, what my (laughs) list was. (laughs) So I feel like we've done a podcast episode on this before. So long time listeners, I apologize if I repeat myself. But... I think we we said, mentioned a bit in the review. Like for me, limited communication can take, actually you just said it, Peter, with the mind. It can take a simple task, some of the simplest game mechanics possible and make it incredibly tense and engaging and sometimes fun. You know, you see that in the mind. Can I play numbers in order? Like if there was no limited communication, worst game ever. <laughs> Some people argue that it's not a game. I argue that that would, there's no argument. That would definitely not be a game if it was open hands. Yeah, that would be like an educational activity for like a four-year-old, right? Like, can you put these numbers from smallest to largest? Yes. Um, You know, or uh, Hanabi. Like, would that be a game without like being able to see people's cards, but not your own? No, it would be, again, like the easiest thing ever. Most trick-taking games, like if you could just show your hand in hearts or spades or bridge or the crew and be like, hey, I, I have a three green. Is that going to work for us? <laughs> Immediately, <laughs> the game would have nothing to do. So there are a lot of games. And, and again, like trick-takers, entire genres of games where hidden cards and the inability to talk about them. Because we should clarify, like lots of games have hidden hands of cards that are co-op. But usually, like, you know, they, they're just trying to stop alpha player, but they're like, you can freely talk about your hand. Like, in Pandemic, you can say what you have. You just can't show it to people. Well, I never thought about Trick Takers. You're right, though. Like, that is, like, the first hidden information game that was out there. Like, when I was playing The Mind, I never equated it to Trick Takers. But that's absolutely correct. It's funny. And I love Trick Takers. So I, I really do think this might be one of my favorite mechanisms out there. I mean, one of the earlier ones you were talking about, you know, co-op games have done it for a while. And a lot of times they say you can't. So one that kind of did it halfway was Shadows Over Camelot, where they're like, 
you can't say exactly what your card is, but you had literally cards number one through five. But you could say like, I have, I can do really well at helping you here, which means you have five, right? I mean, it was weird, the limited communication there, because like they let you give hints, but not say it exactly. But that's the same like in uh, Gloomhaven, right? Like I I know some groups would have like specific words that would mean specific like rate, you know, uh, areas of initiative values. They're like, I can go somewhat slightly slowly. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, right. so he has a 15. I got it. <laughs> right. Well, and I guess you get to know each other's decks and things like that after a while as well. So, yes, you could take limited communication as near or as far as you want to go. One of the things I like about these games, and again, it goes back to trick takers, is you can hold full conversations while you're playing these games, even the mind. I've had full conversations. Now, look, at some points, we have to remember we're playing the game again. I'm like, Hold on, let's put our hands back in again, because are we just talking now? Or are we like, you know, where are we with this? Like, is nobody want to play? Or do people just forget we were playing a game? So I, I think the mind's a little bit harder to do it with. But I've certainly held full conversations while playing trick-taking games and other things that weren't even related to the game. And the game is more of something to you know, have fun, put yourself together, do something at the table, but still hold on these other conversations. And I, I've certainly done that even with, with Sky Team. We definitely had conversations about what was going on as we're placing these dice that didn't have to do with the game. So I think they're good for that. Uh, I do think some people would take an exception to that, though. Well, I think that also highlights something that pretty much all the limited communication co-op games I can think of already do, but that for anyone designing one, I would recommend you want to have the players like intimately involved in every action that each other are taking. Because otherwise, if like we can't communicate <laughs> and then like on top of it, I don't care what you do. Like that's a major recipe for disconnecting and just like zoning out. You know what I mean? But yes, if, if you look at, you know, like Hanabi, the mind, everyone cares about every card play because it affects the entire group. You are all trying to get things in the right order and it is incredibly tense the entire time. Uh, Sky Team, first of all, it's immediate, like, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, dice, dice, dice. But also, like, there are a lot of things you're hoping they can do or not do, and and your dice are affected by their dice, and what you want to play is affected by what they want to play. So I think, yeah, anyone designing a limited communication game, you want to strike that balance. Or a Magic Maze, another one. Like, you are literally taking actions, like, back and forth with each other. Like, only I can go left, only you can go right. Yeah, I, I think... Limited communication kind of lives and dies on the idea that you are non-verbally incredibly involved and engaged in the actions of the other players because you can't be engaged as many co-op games want you to be in like verbal communication. Yeah, discussion of strategy, things right. like that. And I think you you brought up two good points there. Number one being that you want your turns to be quick. Right. So if you're designing one of these, you don't want somebody to have a five minute turn. That's not going to work out because you can't have somebody just sitting there staring at somebody else for five minutes. I mean, if you can pull it off, go for it. But <laughs> I, I can't imagine both people being entertained in that situation. And then the other thing I think you pointed out is some form of signaling. Now, the only one I could think of that they're that this isn't the case, although it's kind of the case, is the mind. Now, you're not signaling with like what cards you're playing next or whatever, but you're signaling by how fast you're moving your hand. Like I feel like when I see somebody moving their hand really fast, that means their next card is probably pretty close to their current card. So maybe I slow down myself a little bit, right? So there's some kind of communication, even though there's no communication there. 
But I think for a lot of these games, like Sky Team, it's like, okay, I'm really worried about the tilt this turn because I only have high number dice and it's already tilted toward my plane. So let me put out my lowest high number dice pretty early on the tilt just so I let you know, hey, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm stressed about. And you could signal back to me, oh, this is a problem by like placing your thing on the coffee. Then I know maybe I place my dice on the coffee, even though that wasn't part of my plan. So that way you can get plus two to your dice or plus three or whatever. So I do think there are interesting ways to signal in all of these games and even trick taking games. I mean, going back, you know, bridge, they had this whole language for how you bid, right? Like the first trick and you, I don't know the language, but like, you know, you, you bid the suit that you have the most number of or something, you know what I mean? And if you're bidding a three, that means you probably have four or five of them or whatever. Like, I, I don't know the exact language, but like there was communication, even in these non-communicating games, right? People developed their own language. And that was like, a big thing with Hanabi earlier, people were like, well, is this cheating? If I'm always taking from the right side and everybody knows that, like, are, have we now introduced communication to a, a limited communication game? Well, and that's the thing. that That's the difference. So the mind could be criticized because maybe going by the rules as written, it's not limited communication. It's no communication, right? Sure. But pretty much all the other ones we're talking about do have limited communication. Like Sky Team, you can talk before you roll the dice and like freely plan out like we should try to do this. If you get this value, put it here. Like you can give yourself some ideas. Uh, Magic Maze has the, (laughs) this is an annoying thing. We should get to the frustration of these games, but uh, Magic Maze has like the red pawn. You can like knock on the table and be like, hey, hey. Um, And then uh, the one I covered recently, Race to the Raft, uh, the Isle of Cats, like limited communication co-op one uh, that has like tokens that if you need to, you can throw it down like once or twice per game and be like, hey, don't do that. Let me talk to you like for a second. So, yeah, most of them have some kind of lever. Well, even the mind has you you can put one card out. You can communicate what one card in your hand is throughout the course of the game. Good call. Good call. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's a smart thing to do. I th- and it also it also makes the games easier to teach. Like when I've taught my uh, the games to my kids, because the nice thing if you have limited communication is you can take away some of the limits if people don't want to use them or if they're frustrating or if you need to like teach the game. Like, I, you know, I played Sky Team where we both could just see our dice just to like kind of walk through how it works and like show them some basic strategy and that kind of stuff. And then they were ready to take like put the screens back up and not be able to see each other. Why well, didn't do that? That's why I ended up yelling at my kids. Oh, of so course. There's that. Well, yeah, so let, let's get to that because that's the one thing we haven't touched on that I think is so prevalent in these games and has certainly soured them for me sometimes, which is like the, <laughs> the anger and frustration of a bad play, which can happen in lots of co-op games, but I feel like it's worst, like mo- most potential for bad feelings with these ones. Oh, we've definitely yelled at each other in the mind for sure. Like, why did you do that? What were you thinking? It's like, yep. I made a mistake. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, why do you think that's so much more common, I guess, in these kind of games? I think tension's higher, which I for me is a pro, but I think for some people who don't deal with stress well, it's not a pro. And I think yelling at each other is, is, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. Somebody yelled at me for a dumb play. You know what I mean? I, I think that's okay sometimes, like, and, and that won't be everybody's cup of tea, right? Because I think the tensions are so high. I don't know why it feels more, I don't know, it's a game like Pictionary, too. It's like, I'm drawing a picture, I guess that's a limited communication as well, right? Like, why don't you understand what I'm trying to tell you here? Like, 
I, I clearly did this for this reason, and nobody else at the table sees that. I guess similar yeah. games like that too. No, you're right. You're right. I, th- I think that's the key. I think it's the d- skewed perception of how clearly we are communicating within the limits. So Clover, I remember like we got super frustrated at each other one of the first couple times we were playing it because you were trying to communicate in a different way than I was trying to communicate. Neither of us is right or wrong. It's just if you're not on the same wavelength, then they, they don't always work out. And uh, for better or for worse, uh, you know, that, that could lead to some sour feelings. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because often when I've had bad experiences with limited communication games, it's been on the first play. Yep. You know, because like once you've played a few times, you do start. And this is, I think, a natural and fun aspect of limited communication games, like sort of learning each other's tells or tendencies or like they tend to do this, they tend to do that. But yeah, I guess that is also a warning for designers of these that if you have a really bad experience off the bat, like any other game, you might never play it again. And limited communication games, I think, are maybe more likely to exacerbate that, which I think make Sky Team's approach excellent and maybe it's something others should emulate where it's very straightforward, you know, and like it's very, the first few scenarios are very simple or uh, Magic Maze has like little tu- literal tutorials for you to go through. Um, although I still have people frustrated with Magic Maze in the first tutorial scenario, so I guess that wasn't enough for them. <laughs> well, I think it is key though that like, some of these real time games we talked about as well. This isn't real time, but it is it is a situation where I think it is important to limit the amount of input or intake you have to have for each of your actions. Like if this game was more complicated and you had to be thinking about 12 other things and I'm trying to signal you what's going on, I I think it would be much more frustrating. So for a lot of these games we're talking about, they're super straightforward. I mean, trick takers are probably the most complicated of all of them. But once you play one trick taker, I think a lot of them become more simple because there's a lot of similarities between a lot of trick taking games. So I do think that that could be a potential frustration or a puzzle, uh, potential like warning to designers. Don't make like 18XX the limited communication game, right? For for a hundred <laughs> reasons. But like, I think that, you know, the complication level, the time all have to be, you know, toward the lower end. I think the frustration should come from this limited communication, not from the game elements themselves and trying to figure it out. Yeah, no, I think that's a great call. And it's like we said at the beginning, like the simpler mechanics, you can layer on the limited communication to suddenly make that a more like rich and deep experience, but you don't need to make and or or do it like Sky Team, like have it be modular, have different difficulty levels. Or again, Magic Maze has like tons of things you can add on. I think that's probably, or even a, even Hanabi, like a very straightforward card game, at least in the set I have. And I think it was even like a more deluxe set than this. They had like a few optional things to ratchet up the difficulty, make things more complicated. So yeah, anybody out there designing a limited communication game, keep it kind of simple. And if you don't want to, then at least make it something you add in as you go along and not something that is slammed in people's faces from the get go. <laughs> yeah. So I think we hit on a couple great points and I do think we've had this discussion, but you know, there've been more games since then. And I think every time we even discuss the same stuff, we get deeper into our own thoughts and feelings. And I think we evolve over time too. So I'm glad we revisit some of these discussions we've had in the past. And I think it went really well today because I learned some things for sure. Well, yeah, and I know for a fact, because there hadn't been 
you know, again, there's still only like, what, three maybe cooperative trick takers total or four. (laughs) I know that I didn't think about trick takers as a limited communication game before, but like the crew, uh, this new one, Sale, Fox in the Forest Duet, and even like, of course, team-based trick takers, like you mentioned, Bridge, Whist, Spades, what have you. Those are very much limited communication. And yeah, you have an entire language, even like established, like in Bridge, language and cues and all that kind of stuff that can be very rich uh, if you can like kind of dig into it. So yeah, I, I like that we added that element because we definitely didn't bring that up last time we talked about this. Yep. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for joining me again. This is 402 episodes. Look forward to us in two weeks where we are going to discuss probably 20 strong, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've been excited. Uh, I think you've finished playing all three modes, right? So now we can have yep. the full conversation. Absolutely. And if you haven't checked it out yet, check it episode 400, where we talked about the history of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. And episode 401, Jason did a really good job. I actually wish I had looked it up. He did an interview with somebody from the Valeria company. I can't remember who it is. It's not one of the main people. It's somebody who's joined recently. Um, But they had a really, really good discussion. So if you like our design discussions, things like that, they had a really good deep industry discussion. And one of my favorite episodes of any podcast not just our own that i've ever listened to and i listen to a lot of podcasts so really good one episode 401 so check that one out too yeah and then you can go listen uh i was on the hungry gamers uh his like little chat uh thing complain complaining about the valeria series so yeah, that should be f- that's a fun counterpoint <laughs> <laughs> well no they they literally were talking about all the mistakes they made and stuff that's why it was such a good episode oh that's really cool that's really cool i like when uh Yeah, and they're revisiting and they want feedback from the community. That was part of it. Like, it's like, okay, we want to engage the solo co-op community. We know our games aren't the best for you guys. What do you want to see? Like, you know, they talked about beat your own score variants. They talked about a lot of stuff and really like, you know, trying to adapt to what people want more and just the challenges of publishing and why they're going Kickstarter only and not going to retail anymore. Like, it's a really really like they cover a lot of good topics that's why i thought it was such an entertaining and educational informational podcast especially for people who are into game design yeah no i'll check it out and i really appreciated uh uh, jason of course does videos about once a week on our main channel and he had uh, a review of all the recent valeria expansions and like the second edition for uh valeria card kingdoms i should say and I hadn't really followed the series much. And I was like, man, they, they're like really trying to make the solo better. Man, they have a whole co-op expansion. It sounds pretty good. Like, so I, I can see it. Like, it's easy for a publisher to say, we're going to try to do co-op better. We're tr- going to try to listen to the community. But I can see it in action. And that's awesome. Yeah. All right, Mike. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, I get it. It's living communication. Uh. <laughs> See, you got me. I was wondering how long it was going to take. <laughs> I'm slow, man. It's about my bedtime. <laughs>